Today on the Orthodox Ethos Podcast, Lesson 3 on the truth of our faith on Holy Tradition. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Illumine our hearts, O Master, who lovest mankind, with the pure light of the divine knowledge. Open the eyes of our mind to the understanding of thy gospel teachings, and plant us also fear of thy blessed commandments, and trampling down all kind of desires, we may enter upon a spiritual manner of living, both thinking and doing such things well-pleasing unto thee. Without the illumination of our souls and bodies, O Christ our God, and the thee we send of glory, with the unoriginal Father, the holy, good, and life-creating Spirit, both now and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. Tu salis sana vixas, kata pemsas aftis to pnevma, to agion kevi afton, tinikumenis aginevsas, filantrope, Amen. All right. God help us and teach us. Let's go right to our teaching here. Share our screen and uh, give you uh, the course outline. You can download it if you haven't. And on the left is the book that's been sent to you, our reading material that's Elder Cleopa of Romania. Today we're going to be looking at the Holy Tradition, and that's why we have the icon in the Dome of St. Mark's in Venice, the icon of Pentecost, because this is where everything flows from in terms of the Holy Tradition. This is the life of the Church, the Holy Spirit throughout the ages. How unfortunate and Confused are our Western brothers and sisters, the Protestants and the papal Protestants and the Reformed Protestants, as to the content of holy tradition, thinking that it is something of men and not of God, and therefore rejecting it. What a tragedy. What a tragedy. But we're not going to be a part of that tragedy. We're going to be a part of the holy tradition, which is the living voice the life of the Church and the Holy Spirit, according to our elder Cleopa. We're going to look right off the bat at the very term as we have it in, uh, in Scripture. So let's look at the term paradosis quickly in uh, Strong's Concordance here. You can see it online, right? Everybody can see that. And we see here that it is a tradition has passed on. The meaning here in English, we have the tradition has passed on. Yeah, not in faith, not in Christ. Brothers and sisters in Christ, only those baptized, chrismated, and commune. But we can call them brothers and sisters in the sense of all being sons of, and daughters of Adam. 
but not brothers and sisters in Christ. Unfortunately, that happens when we're initiated into the mysteries of the church and we be, die and rise in Christ in the mysteries. So our term here is paradosis, and it means a handing down or handing over uh, from one generation to the next. And it's in particular a giving over which is done by word of mouth or in writing, but primarily it's done in the Old and New Testaments for generations and generations until the canon of Scripture and until the time of Moses by word of mouth, by father to son. And we have the uh, phrases in Scripture, the the precepts received from the fathers. Now, of course, there's going to be a positive version, a version of God, a version given by God, of course. And there's of men, which is perverted, of course. The demons and men, fallen men, are going to pervert things. So the fact that you can find in Scripture, the Pharisees talking about the traditions of our fathers means little to nothing in terms of the legitimacy of holy tradition. It's just a, uh, a, a perverted, distorted version of that which is blessed in God. And so we see both. We see First Corinthians, we see uh, this, the Apostle Paul talking about holding firmly to the traditions. We're going to quote those scriptures in a minute, the full versions. And again in Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, uh, those holy traditions hold which you've been taught. So uh, fairly straightforward. There shouldn't be much of a confusion here as to the meaning of the term as it's used in Holy Scripture. Let's move on to uh, the Holy Fathers and, and my little introduction here. So let's Look at, uh, we're in the third week here. You can see on our lecture titles, we've done two, Introduction to, on the Church and the Holy Scripture, now our Holy Tradition. Next week we're going to be talking about the veneration of the Theotokos, the saints and the angels. First of all, let's go to the Holy Apostle John, which is so important to understand. This is really what it's all about. 1 John 1, 1 to 4, how does he start out his epistles? That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life, the logos. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, we bear witness, and we show it unto you, that eternal life which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. This is the key. This is the, the heart of it all. This is where tradition is. What we see, we pass on. What we understand, we we and have lived and, and have seen and have experienced, this is what we give to you. This is where it all begins, the tradition. That which we have seen and heard, we declare unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship, our communion, is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write unto you, that your joy may be full. And that's when our joy is full. When? When we have received from the Holy Apostles, the Holy Fathers, the saints of every age, this experience, epignosis, you're going to hear me say this a lot. The Greek term for knowledge that's used by St. Paul again and again means experiential knowledge, right? Experiential knowledge. So this is the experience of the apostles that we, we have to enter into, which we can enter into in the church, which unfortunately was lost, confused, because it's true. The Protestants were partially correct. They rejected tradition of men because that's what had happened in the West, 
with the papal Protestants. They introduced traditions of men. And so they said, well, we're going to reject these things, these innovations. They added uh, to the holy, holy tradition and, and distorted it and perverted it. And so this is why people ended up rejecting it. But unfortunately, there was not enough discernment to see what was authentic and what was not. And they threw out that which was authentic with that which was perverted. But it's understandable because without the experience of the church, how can you discern what is of God and what is not? The discernment of the spirits is not accessible. So uh, that's the Apostle John. And of course, our contemporary true teachers of the faith, including Father Florovsky and Father John Romanides, who are, uh, I mean, they're not perfect. There are things that are disputable and problematic, but there are many things that are not. And so we go to them. Uh, just for a, a, a quick kind of summary, uh, which is helpful for us. And uh, Father John says in this book here that we've published, Patristic Theology. If you don't have it, you can try to find a few copies that are around. Uh, e-books, I think, available. Um, well, actually, they're not available on our site, unfortunately, but they're going to be. And, and um, Father John says it quite well here. He says, we can see that the core of Orthodox tradition, the core of Orthodox tradition is not the book of Holy Scripture, but the transmission of this experience, which is recorded in Holy Scripture and in the Fathers, of, of purification, illumination, and deification, or theosis. He prefers theosis, which has been handed down successively from from even Adam in the Old Testament all the way to our day. I mean, this is the experience of the, all those who are in God, right? And he says somewhere else, after the experiences of the apostles come the experiences of the glorified who include the church fathers and those saints who reach theosis. So the experience of theosis continues to appear in each generation up to the present. This experience of theosis is the core of Orthodox tradition. This experience is the core of Orthodox tradition. In other words, it's an experience that's renewed in every generation by new saints, and therefore it's not something that's a dead human tradition, but it's a living experience of God renewed and reconfirmed in every generation among the saints. That's why it's so important for all of us to run to the saints of our generation, run to the saints of our day. Those are our living links to the past, those are the ones through which God has given us to understand how to live in God in our day and age. And through them, we will be connected to the fathers before them. And that's why it's so important to understand who are the saints and to run behind them and run to them and follow their example. And then all these questions, all these, these crazy, insane things that are happening in the church and the world today, they find solution. We have peace by listening to those who are the carriers, the barriers of Orthodox tradition, the Holy Spirit in our day. They've reached illumination and theosis, and so therefore they can communicate us the truth, discern the spirits, and teach us the path of salvation in our day. He goes on, this experience of theosis is the core of the Orthodox tradition, the foundation of the local and ecumenical councils, and the basis for the church's canon law and liturgical life today. One of the questions is about the ecumenical councils. What makes a true ecumenical council? What makes a false council? Right there. One of the reasons why Father John speaks decades ago against this 
the convening of a council in his day, which ended up being the Cretan council, was because he says, where are the glorified bishops? Where are the deified? Where are the ones who have the witness and the, and the experience? Because that's the basis of the ecumenical councils. When St. Athanasius, St. Spiridon, St. Nicholas, they all stood up at the first council, they made it ecumenical by their, by their presence. It wasn't the number of fathers. That, of course, is important in one level, but it's much deeper than that. It's the experience of theosis that makes it ecumenical. It's the people who are there who speak the word, and the church's conscience accepts their word as true. So that's Father John Romanides quickly. There's so much more in, uh, in that book and in other books in, in, which are very helpful for us to pinpoint uh, these, these questions and understand these questions from the patristic tradition. Tradition is interwoven of the essence of Christian life and faith. I want to say here that it is, it is part and parcel. It's impossible to separate it from our life and the faith of the church. Anybody who says, who talks and tries to make, um, it's very wrought with problems, this idea that there's a big T tradition, a small T tradition, and we can take some and leave the other. That's not how the fathers approach it. That's a rationalistic, uh, kind of arrogant way of approaching Holy Tradition. You enter into it, you experience, you live it from the fathers before you. And they're not going to throw out things even if they're minor, if they're a part of the holy tradition, if they've been handed down by their fathers. The problem is we have many who come into the church today without essentially submitting themselves to teachers and fathers before them. And therefore, they end up analyzing tradition with their rationalistic approach, and they, and, and they want to make uh, distinctions and so they say, well, that's a small tea tradition because they're not following it or there's a reason why they don't want to follow it or there's, a, there's some kind of controversy that they can't figure out. And so they end up, and that's very dangerous because we're not following the tradition that's been handed down to us and because we're not connected to those conveyors and carriers of the holy tradition. Uh, and so the anti-tradition that you observe among Protestants, especially Reformed Protestants, but also Papal Protestants. I think this is an important thing to note here. We, many times we think, well, the, it's really only the Reformed Protestants, the Protestant Reformation, that ends up being so anti-traditional. It's not really true. When the Papal Frankish theologians, scholastics, do not follow the Holy Fathers, but follow the rational intellect and become rationalist and look at theology through the, uh, with, with, with the, uh, the philosophers of, of pre-Christian days as their guides and kind of the rules in many way, affected and infected by that rationalism, that's a anti-traditional stance already, right? When the Pope says, I am tradition, I don't have to listen to the, to the Holy Fathers and the rest of the bishops, that's anti-tradition. That's, that's not the way of the methodology of the fathers. And so then you have an unraveling in the West and you have a rejection and a re revolution against that. And then you have a, 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 a very speedy uh, 500 years of, of, of a pendulum swing, which never ends and just essentially dissolves whatever was left of the life of the church because it, it's anti-traditional. You cannot be anti-traditional and be Christian. It's not possible. Uh, 
you you can be anti-human tradition, but we're not talking about human tradition in the church, are, are we? We're talking about the divine uh, spirit guiding us in every generation, following the holy fathers and the and the, and the saints before them. So this is this is uh, this is antithetical to the life of the church, and it's it dissolves life of the church. And insofar as we Orthodox in our day are a part of that spirit and that mentality, we're going to fall into the same trap. And there are, unfortunately, Orthodox who are doing that, right? They're innovating and they're throwing things out to make it appealing to the day. And that's tragic. It's tragic. Uh, let's hear from St. Jerome here, very powerful in his day, applicable to our day. The intent of Holy Scripture and the rule of faith are intimately connected. You cannot divvy them up. They're connected. Let's hear what he says. Marcion and Vasilides and other heretics do not possess the gospel of God since they have no Holy Spirit without which the gospel so preached becomes human. See how definitively and, and authoritatively he speaks about heretics who are outside the church. These are people who were in the church not years before. Schisms and, and teaching heresy. And he says definitively and, and conclusively, they do not have the Holy Spirit. Do you hear that from many of our theologians and bishops today with that kind of decisiveness? Some, most, unfortunately, you don't have that clarity. Without, and that's, that's a reflection of their own uh, spiritual ailing, you know, their, their, their sickness spiritually not have the clarity and not have the discernment. Without which the gospel so preached becomes human, he says. We're living in a, a time of great humanism, in a bad sense, and Arianism. We do not think, he says, that gospel consists of the words of Scripture. Gospel does not consist of the words of Scripture. But in its meaning... Not on the surface, but in the marrow, the bone, deep. Not in the leaves of sermons, but in the root of the meaning. In this case, Scripture is really useful for the hearers when it is not spoken without Christ. Nor is it presented without the, the fathers. And those who are preaching do not introduce it without the Spirit. It is a great danger to speak in the church, lest by a perverse interpretation of the gospel of Christ, a gospel of man is made. A gospel of man is made. All right. So, so there's there's no distinction here. The rule of faith and the Holy Scriptures have to be together. Otherwise, we don't have the Holy Scriptures. They're not ours. And holy tradition is the rule of faith. This is what the, what what he's talking about. So outside the church, there is no divine gospel. Only human substitutes. And the true meaning of Scripture, the divine message, cannot be detected except by it being in conjunction with the true faith, the truth of the faith, and that is experienced in the church. And, of course, that's the, the experience of the fathers. That's the holy tradition passed on from generation to generation. That's St. Jerome. How about St. Paisius? Let's see what St. Paisius has to say. Uh, all of this of course, I should mention, is coming to supplement our reading text, which is 
the question and answer uh, uh, between uh, Elder Cleopa and his uh, Protestant-influenced uh, inquirer. I hope that you're reading that. That's your reading material for the class. If you're going to be uh, following along, you should be reading that as much as possible every week. It's just a few pages. And then I'm going to supplement that here so that it gives more flesh and theological meat on a very uh, direct and simple and scriptural based answers that's what the what's so good about the book is it is, is direct and and so much based in holy scripture for the for the inquirer coming from protestants to answer his questions but we can put a lot more flesh on it in terms of uh the patristic text here and and other things uh but the, they need to go together so we need to be reading that we need to be reading that text saint paisius the athenite this is how the holy fathers keep tradition holy tradition so it goes without saying that the Holy Tradition is kept, passed on, but how is it done? Well, he says very simply and beautifully, when there is a respect for small things, there will be an even greater respect towards the bigger things. When there is no respect for the small things, then neither will it be for the bigger things. This is how the fathers maintain tradition. Of course, the Lord says the same in the scriptures, doesn't he? He says that... Uh, you have to keep both the weightier matters and the uh, and the minor matters of the law. They're both essential. And this is where the demons begin, right? The, 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 the temptations in the church don't begin with great and, uh, you know, important matters. The heretic doesn't arrive at his heresy just starting off, sitting down and writing out heretical texts. What happens? He loses the agrivia, the exactitude of the faith in, 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 in keeping the commandments becomes lax in the fasting, in the prayer, humility, guarding the thoughts, watchfulness, Jesus' prayer. All those things become lax. He becomes worldly. He's a rationalist. He's a philosopher. He's whatever it is, but he's not on the path of asceticism and strictness in life. That's where it all begins, and it ends up in the end uh, with heretical teachings. That's usually the case. I mean, sometimes you can find the opposite, that it begins with dog, dogmatic errors and they end up then, of course, uh, becoming lax because they lose the Holy Spirit, they lose the grace of God. But I think almost always it's the opposite. And it happens without them realizing it, without other people realizing it. It happens in the in the quiet of their cell, in their house, uh, and in their personal life, and that's where uh, the, the, the devil is working to, to get us all, to make us lax and not have fear of God. Uh, and so that's what he, the elders are saying. You've got to keep all that if you're going to keep the, the greater, weightier things of the law. So in Scripture, we have many witnesses that holy tradition has always been there, and it's always, uh, it's, it predates, and, pre, and, and Scripture presupposes holy tradition. Uh, obviously, we didn't have scripture the whole time, right? We didn't have scripture for the first 4,000 plus years and from Adam to Abraham and Moses. We didn't have scriptures for the first 70 years until the first gospel was written. And we didn't have the canon of scripture for 360 years, more or less. It was being formed. So for anybody who's coming and, and saying, well, I got my Bible, I've got my New Testament and I'm ready to go. That's what it's all about. Well, they're deluded and history tells them as much. You don't even have to listen to the Holy Fathers. All you got to do is know history, and you know that that's not the case.
that obviously the life of the church is what it's all about. And then the scriptures grow out of that. And it's a recording of that life. And it presupposes you have the experience of that life to enter into the scriptures, right? And we have many examples in scripture here that speaks to the holy tradition. We have in the Acts of the Apostles uh, that the Lord showed himself after his, his resurrection to many for 40 days. And what was he doing? Was he writing it all down? Was he creating the gospel? Did he tell them, go and write the gospel down before you forget? No, he was speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God as he did throughout his whole three years. And he taught and never wrote anything. All right, so we've already gone over that with scripture. But that shows, obviously, that the holy tradition is the core of the life of the church, the experience and the passing on by inspiration of the Holy Spirit of the teachings. And he goes and he tells the disciples there, teach all nations, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. It is a person-to-person, face-to-face tradition handing on of the teaching and of the experience. There are many times where the apostles said, I will come and I will teach you. They don't all write it down in the epistles. Sometimes they say short epistles and say, I'll teach you in person. It presupposes that personal exchange. Just as the apostles said in the beginning, we saw, we heard with our eyes, with our, we, we touched. That's what has to happen for all of us. We have to hear and touch and feel and, and communicate and commune in the mysteries and with our spiritual father and with the saints through their teachings and all of that. It's, a, it's an immediate personal experience in the church. That has to happen for us, all of us, if we're going to enter into the mysteries of the gospel and live the life in Christ. And then the Lord, at the end there, at St. John's Gospel, he records that, look, if everything was written down, then the whole world could not contain the books that should be written. Obviously, there's no way that we can fit in one gospel of a few pages, the things that the Lord did. This is comical if people think that it's all there and nothing else is necessary. He says the whole book, would, whole world wouldn't contain the books we would write. Obviously, we didn't write it all down. Obviously, there's so much more to this than what's written in the scriptures. It's called the holy tradition. It's called the life of the church and it's passed down person to person. And then the apostle says in three different places, you've got to keep the holy tradition. Hold to the traditions which you've been taught by word or epistle, by word or epistle. Remember all the things. Keep the ordinances that I delivered as I delivered them to you. That's by word. And an angel, he says, even if an angel comes down from heaven, even if an angel comes down from heaven, do not believe what I've delivered or I've preached to you, right? I've if any, any other, even an angel of heaven preach any other gospel unto you, that I've preached unto you, let him be a curse. He didn't write it all down. He taught verbally. That's how he did it. He went place to place. This is how they've always done it. This is how they continue to do When the elder Femme came over to America, what did he do? He went around in the beginning for years before he started any monastery. What did he do? He went house to house, church to church, confession to confession. That's what the apostles do. St. Cosmas, all around northern Greece, all around Greece, really, by foot, 
face-to-face, -face, teaching and preaching, that personal is so important. And that's why what we're living through is so demonic, right? It's cutting us off. I just got a letter from somebody in West, Western Pennsylvania describing to me the situation in their church there. I think it's a Greek Archdiocese church. It is just, it's just mind-boggling. I mean, what has happened to people? What have they lost their minds? And there's so many people who, according to this woman, who are walking away from the church. They're lost to the church. Older ladies, people who can't make it out, people who have been abandoned or been forgotten or they've forgotten, they've, they've lost touch and they're, they've lost hope. All of this is just tragic. It's amazing. And of course, it, it, it goes against exactly the, the need of every one of us for a personal, intimate, and, and direct conversation with God in the church through his apostles, through his teachers in the mysteries. And so obviously it's not of God. Obviously it's not of God. How can anybody say that this is, this is, this is what we should be doing? That our path is of God when it's unraveling the, 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 the uh, life of the church for so many. It's keeping people away uh, on, without any basis. Without any basis. So, so tragic. So tragic. And God help us all to remain vigilant through this time of trial. St. Athanasius the Great, wonderful, lays it down, speaks like this throughout his, his writings, very common. He says, let us look at that very tradition, paravosis, teaching, didaskelia, and faith, pistis, of the Catholic Church, the one holy Catholic and apostolic church, from the very beginning. All right, all of that is passed on by experience, by teachers. They're teaching, they're imparting the faith, and they're following the tradition. That's not, he doesn't say here, let us look to the scriptures that have been written down. He doesn't say that here, does he? He says, let us look to the tradition, the teaching, the faith, which the Lord gave, he imparted, that's part of tradition, passed on. The Lord gave it to the apostles. The apostles gave it to the fathers, etc. The apostles preached it, and the fathers preserved it. What is that? The tradition. And upon this, the church is founded, he says. Not upon the written scriptures, but upon this, the tradition, the life, the experience, all of this. St. Athanasius the Great. He goes on, and he says, in accordance with the apostolic faith delivered to us by the tradition of the fathers. How did we get the apostolic faith? What was it? They wrote it down and then that's it? We sat and we read? No. Lord have mercy. It's ignorance of history, ignorance of the tradition, ignorance of the fathers, the teachings. That's the only way we can explain how people can remain so far from the life of the church. So we have to help them. We have to teach as much as possible and spread the word in accordance with the apostolic faith delivered to us by tradition from the fathers. I have delivered the tradition without inventing anything extraneous to it. What I learned that I have inscribed conformably with the Holy Scriptures. You see how the Holy Scriptures come in and confirm? We don't base our life on them, but they confirm they're in agreement. Of course they're going to be in agreement because they're coming from the same source. Scriptures are coming out of the same source. As, and, the, and with one word, that's the Holy Tradition because it's the life of, this, of the Holy Spirit in the church which then gives birth to the, what we do. You're going to hear now St. Basil the Great 
very famous text here from his uh, treatise on the Holy Spirit. You're going to see, he says, well, how do we get all this that we're doing? Where do we get it from? It's not in the scriptures, a lot of what we do. We've been doing it. We've been, it's been passed on from the fathers. It's not in scriptures. So how do you account for that? This is what he says now. And these no one will gainsay, no one at all events, who is even moderately versed in the institutions of the church. For were we to attempt to reject such customs, <clears throat> traditions in other words, as have no written authority, they have no written authority, the traditions. And if we were to reject them, he says, on the ground that the importance they possess is small, remember, other priests said, all the things, small and great. You keep the small, you keep the great. We should unintentionally injure the gospel in its very vitals. We're going to take the vitals, the very heart of the gospel, we're going to do great damage if we reject that which has been handed on by tradition, the customs we've, the, the way we we operate in the church. You're gonna find. You're gonna, he's gonna explain what those are. He's gonna say right now, or rather, worse, we should make our public definition a mere phrase and nothing more. We should empty it out. In other words, our public gospel uh, uh, definition, meaning here what we preach and teach, right? How we understand. For instance, he says to take the first and most general example. Who is thence who has taught us in writing to sign the sign of, with the sign of the cross? Those who have trusted in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Here is a witness in the fourth century, and he's, he's receiving it from his teachers in the faith, to make the sign of the cross. He says, but where is it written? Where is it written that we do this? Says, no, it's not written anywhere. So if you are just going to only take the scriptures, you're going to reject that. Okay, You're going to lose that. That's been passed down. Just like the Paul, Apostle Paul said, by my word and by my, my writing, right? Both. What writing has taught us to turn to the East at the prayer? Have you ever thought about that? Why do we go to the East? I mean, there's, you can probably think up different reasons, but it's not written anywhere. It's not in the Scripture that we should pray to the East. Which of the saints has left us in writing the words of the invocation, epiclesis, at the displaying of the bread of the Eucharist and the cup of the blessing? It's talking about the... Epiclesis, the invocation of the Holy Spirit to come down and change the bread and wine into the body and blood of Christ. Where is that written in Scripture? For we are not, as is well known, content with what the Apostle or the Gospel has recorded. But both in preface and conclusion, we add other words as being of great importance to the validity, the authenticity probably is the better word here, of the mystery of the ministry and these we derive from unwritten teaching unwritten teaching we get all this right? we're not it's not just so the poor poor protestants and the poor roman uh, frankish latin papal protestants they've lost the holy tradition and it's a mess look at what's happened in vatican ii they threw it all out in Supposedly to get back to the ancient liturgy, supposedly to get back to something that's more authentic. Well, it doesn't work that way. If it's not passed on from generation to generation, if it's not passed on from generation to generation, it's not authentic. It's not real. It's not the tradition of the church. It's got to be passed on from generation to generation. That's how it works. There's a living golden chain of saints from generation to generation that give us the faith and, and live that same experience of theosis.
as I wrote in the introduction to the life of Elder Paisios, you know, we don't have any need for, uh, for what Vatican II brought, which was a, um, what was the Italian phrase? It just escaped me. Uh, the giornamento, um, like, go, you know, updating, and then, uh, or the, uh, uh, the uh, constant reformation. Right? We don't, none of that's, that's just foreign and strange to us. Why? Because when you read the life of Elder Paisios, brothers and sisters, that's the life of the apostles. Miracles, gifts of the Holy Spirit, uh, gifts, uh, spiritual gifts that are, that are beyond any kind of explanation humanly. This is, this is the way that the apostles lived. This is the way that the saints of every generation lived. This is the way St. Paisios lived in our day. Uh, it, it's uh, it's all you need to do is if you want to become Orthodox, read that life. What else do you need? This is the, the apostolic faith, apostolic experience in our day. So he says, moreover, we bless the water of baptism and the oil of the chrism. And besides this, the catechumen who is being baptized, we bless him as well. Where do you get that? On what written authority do we do this? Is not our authority silent and mystical tradition? See, they didn't go around preaching this. If you were a, a pagan at the time, they wouldn't go talking to you about all this. None of this would be public knowledge. You'd have to become an initiate, a catechumen, baptized, chrismated, commune, and then you would, you would learn all the details. This is not what we talk about with the non-Orthodox. We don't preach this. We don't preach the Theotokos. We don't go around preaching anything but Christ and Him crucified. That's the public kirigba, preaching, right? This is the dogma. This is the internal life. All these things are secret, he says. Silent, mystical tradition. Mystical translations of a papal translation, I think, here. So there's some errors here. Validity, I don't think it's validity. It's probably authenticity. And mystical is probably uh, mysteriological, maybe would be a better translation. So we're talking about the mysteries. Anyway, nay, he says, by what written word is the anointing of oil itself taught? And whence comes the custom of baptizing thrice? We baptize with three immersions. Where does that come from? Is that in the scriptures? No, it says in the scriptures, we baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And... The verbal and tradition passed on by the apostles was that that means with every name, one immersion, right? But that's not written anywhere. And as to the other customs of baptism, from what scripture do we derive the renunciation of Satan and his angels? Does not this come from the unpublished or unpublic secret teaching which our fathers guarded in a silence out of reach of the curious meddling and inquisitive investigation. Well had they learned the lesson that the awful dignity of the mysteries is best preserved in silence, by silence. So much now public, right? With TVs in our churches, even in our altar. <laughs> Lord have mercy. What would the Holy Father say with such nonsense? What? We're going to publicize the, the most intimate spiritual reality to, to 
anyone in the most blasphemous people could tune in on the, on the internet and watch what we're doing inside the altar it's it's really tragic so tragic what would saint basil say these things are out of the reach he says of the curious meddling and inquisitive investigation this, this is absolutely unheard of it's the most intimate thing it's it's, it's like it's throwing pearls before swine God have mercy. Well, had they learned the lesson of the awful dignity of the mysteries is best preserved in silence. Well, had they learned what the uninitiated are not even allowed to look at was hardly likely to be publicly paraded about in written documents. Oh, St. Basil, God, pray to God for us. Have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. We know not what we do. The uninitiated. Do we even have it anymore? Why aren't the catechumens leaving? What is preventing us from having the catechumens leave? If you're a catechumen and your priest is not telling you to leave, I can't tell you what to do, but I'll tell you if you were in my parish, you'd leave because it's good for you. That's what needs to happen. There's a time when you will be initiated into the mystery of the Eucharist. It's not as a catechumen. You cannot commune. You are not baptized. Your time is to listen to the word of God, preach the sermon, and leave the temple. And go and study and spend time, 45, 50 minutes, what is it? Until the end of the service, studying, preparing yourself for baptism. That's what should be happening. But how many other people, non-Orthodox, are in the temple during the whole divine liturgy, never to commune. They went with their husband or wife, and now we've got all these mixed marriages, another whole problem that has been introduced in the church. Huge pastoral problem. So we're not respecting the boundaries. It's all this, this deceitful, cunning, uh, ecumenistic mindset about the boundaries, which is being undermined. And it's not for the benefit of those people. So many rationalistic ways of approaching the pastoral life of the church. Oh, we have to do this, otherwise we're going to lose them. We don't trust God. We don't trust this Holy Spirit. If we were preaching and teaching, wouldn't they want to become Orthodox? If we were living the gospel, wouldn't even those who now they've found someone they want to marry, they're a couple in their 20s, they want to marry a, an Orthodox with a non-Orthodox. If you're living and experiencing the life of the church. First of all, unlikely they're going to see, seek out a non-Orthodox to get married to. But if they did, the life that they found in the church, would it not bring them step by step into the church? Would we have to do, we think we have to do this. It's nonsense. We don't have to do any of it. God help us. We're, we're, we read the spiritual text, we read the Father's text, and yet we, we don't, we don't, uh, put them into practice, although this is this is the teaching of the, of the fathers. The uninitiated are not even allowed to look at this, this life, this, 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 all these traditions, this inner life of the church he's talking about. How could they, this, this would, that which the catechumens aren't allowed, how would we publicly parade it about in not written documents today, but in videos online so obviously the proverbial cat is out of the bag with all the technology today no matter let's be faithful 
if you are in a position where you could make a change, you're a priest, you're somebody who the priest, you have the priest's ear, you should humbly, prayerfully introduce these words of the great saint and, 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 and encourage them to be faithful because only fruit, good fruit will come of it. Pastorally, there's so much that can be done that will help the uh, catechumen go deeper and in the right time be initiated with the right presuppositions being fulfilled. That's how it should work. Let's hear what St. Eustin Bobovich has to say about this. Always the great theologian of the Theanthropos, of the God-man, right? So, so beautiful. The principal tradition, the transcendent tradition of the Orthodox Church is the living God-man Christ. This is the tradition, he says, okay? God, the God-man Christ himself. Entire in the theanthropic body of the church of which he is the immortal, eternal head, okay? So if we say that the holy tradition is the life of the spirit in the, in, in the body of Christ, well, he is the body of Christ, right? He's the head and it's his body. And so this is the same as saying that the life of, we're living the life of Christ. He's everything that goes to make up the holy tradition, the life of the church. This is not merely the message, but the transcendent message of the holy apostles and the holy fathers. They know Christ crucified, Christ resurrected, Christ ascended. They all, by their in integral lives and teachings with a single soul and a single voice confess that Christ the God-man is holy in his church as in his body. Each of the Holy Fathers could rightly repeat with St. Maximus the Confessor, in no wise am I expounding my own opinion but that which I've been taught by the Fathers without changing aught in their teaching. So this is a, a witness here to how the life of Christ, the life of the Holy Spirit, the life of the, uh, in, the in, in Christ, which is the Holy Tradition, is passed on by the saints who in no wise add or subtract, in no wise create and innovate, in no wise expound their own opinion, but only that which is taught by the Holy Fathers. This is the characteristic of the, of the saints. Right? Or the, if they don't do that, they're not going to become saints in the Orthodox Church. Uh, it's not going to happen. Never has. Uh, we don't have innovators and uh, and and people who are uh, living in a fantasy land of their uh, cre created in their mind about who Christ is, but people who actually ex experience uh, the God Man. Saint John Damascus. What does he have to say for us? How important it is, and how dog you could we could come up with dozens of these. Uh, quotes. Okay, what I, this quote I'm going to read to you right now is not unique to Saint John. It's just the most classic expression, very well known. But there are so many saints who will say the, exactly the same thing. This is how they lived it. This is how they understood it. And this is how we need to understand it. Are some people having problems? They need to refresh. That's a possibility. I think some people. Every time somebody is having difficulty getting in, and I unfortunately at this time I can't help them much. Uh, yeah, so we'll have to we'll have to watch it on 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 repeat on uh, recording. 
All right, St. John says, Wherefore, brethren, let us plant ourselves upon the rock of faith and the tradition of the church, removing not the landmarks set by our holy fathers, nor giving room to those who are anxious to introduce novelties and undermine the structure of God's holy, ecumenical, and apostolic church. For if everyone were allowed a free hand, little by little, the entire body of the church would be destroyed. Let's pay attention to this. Uh, in our own day, what do we have? We have great threats to the holy tradition because there are those who are moving and removing the landmarks set by our holy fathers. I'll give you a few of them. The landmarks about the boundaries of the church are the most obvious and the most egregious that have been removed, whether it be prayer between Orthodox bishops, priests, laymen with non-Orthodox, heterodox, there are clear canons and boundaries set precisely to preserve the faith and to be able to preach the faith and to help those who want to come to the faith. Those things are there for the salvation of the world. Same goes with mixed marriages. The same goes with now other novelties like this archbishop in America saying we're going to commune those who've been married in a mixed marriage. Totally unheard of, total novelty, totally undermining the church and of course the holy fathers say such people avoid and flee such innovators avoid and flee that's what they say i'm not making this up this is what they say and so if you what does that mean in practice well we don't flee the church we flee them we flee their teachings we flee their experience their 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 witness right we reject it and we re we encourage other people to reject it as well if we want to remain orthodox and we want to remain in the church. Uh, but it doesn't mean we flee in the sense that we leave the church. No, no, no. That's backwards. The fathers and the saints worked so that the innovators will leave the church. The innovators will leave the church. Gigi, I'm sorry to hear that, but... It's probably a local problem. If everybody else is hearing us, uh, that means it's a local problem for Gigi, unfortunately. All right. So let's go on to St. John. Uh, another quote on the boundaries. We do not change the boundaries marked out by our fathers. We keep the tradition we have received. If we begin to lay down the law of the church, even in the smallest things, the whole edifice will fall to the ground in no short time. So again, this is the, this is the consensus. This is the consensus uh, of all the Holy Fathers. One second. All right. And you can see that every, every one of them is extremely sensitive to that, right? The small things, do not allow the small things to be uprooted. Keep the small traditions as, as much as the great, great traditions. St. Gregory Palamas, this is what I was telling you earlier. What do the saints say about those who are innovating in the holy tradition? Listen to what he says. Let us free, flee from those who reject patristic interpretations and attempt 
by themselves to deduce the complete opposite, while pretending to concern themselves with the literal sense of the passage. They reject its godly meaning. We should run away from them more than we would run from a snake. <laughs> For when a snake bites, it kills the body temporarily, separating it from the immortal soul. But when these evil men get their teeth into a soul, they separate it from God, which is eternal death for that soul. Let us escape as far as we can from such people and take refuge with those who teach piety and salvation in accordance with the traditions of the fathers. This is a word that we all need to hear today, and we need to apply it and interpret it, of course. And, of course, that's going to mean you're going to run to those teachers in the holy tradition, the ascetics, the monastics, those few academic theologians who are teaching right, avoiding the ecumenists, avoiding the philatists, avoiding the innovators, avoiding those who uh, have introduced novelty into our worship, right? All of these things are unheard of and, uh, and not taught by the Holy Father, so we avoid them. Finally, St. Theodore the Student. These are just a few. I mean, literally, we could come, we could spend the next couple hours going through quote after quote after quote of Holy Fathers talking about how important it is for each and every Orthodox Christian to be a, a preserver and defender of the Holy Tradition. St. Theodore says, Shall we say, quote, since it is lawful for an archbishop together with his associates to do as he pleases, let him be for the duration of his archbishopric a new evangelist, another apostle, a different lawgiver. Certainly not, he says. So he says, look, I mean, if the bishop has power, do we not hear this? Do we not see bishops who are enamored with authority today? It's all about authority, right? For many of our bishops today, unfortunately, that's what's remained because we've lost much of the content of our faith and the, the, the role of teaching that, imparting that by their life and witness. And we've been, we've become, we've seen the secular spirit, the worldly spirit, it's been eating away at us. So what happens when that's gone? What's, what remains? The shell, the institution, the external, right? The power, the authority, the People have to be <clears throat> subjected to them. That's really what it's all about. If you threaten that, whether you're teaching orthodoxy or not, then that's, a, that's, that's the worst thing you could do. Do not threaten their authority. So, unfortunately, they don't read St. Theodore and other saints. He's saying here, if that's what they're doing, they've got the power, but they're introducing novelty, they're teaching another gospel, Absolutely not. Do not have anything to do with him. For we have an injunction from the apostle himself, he says, if anyone preaches a doctrine or urges you to do something against what you have received, against what is prescribed by the canons of the Catholic and local synods held at various times, he is not to be received or to be reckoned among the number of the faithful. Not to be received. And yet we do, we receive them, unfortunately. We receive them and we number them among the faithful. This is one of the biggest problems we have in the church today. We're not methodologically following the Holy Fathers. We're either going to one extreme or another. One extreme is we end up 
in the, in the name of fighting heresy, we end up leaving the communion of the church and setting up parallel jurisdictions and becoming a jurisdiction unto ourselves, which is not going to be a patristic way of dealing with it. We're not going to suffer in those positions, right? We're going to be cut off, irrelevant. It's actually going to do a favor for the ecumenists. They're going to be more easily to rule over the church. Or we're going to justify. We're going to continually justify and justify our apathy, our indifference, our desire not to suffer and to, to have a problem. And, and then we're going to allow that bishop to do as he likes. Or, or, or we're, we're not going to be able to maybe change him, but we're, gonna, we're not going to cut, cut our relationship off with him. We're not going to distance ourselves from him on whatever level. And so, therefore, it's going to be as if we accept him and his teaching. And the saints are clearly saying we should not receive him and his teaching. And I, forbear, I forbear even to mention the terrible judgment with which the apostle concludes. The strictness with which the apostle concludes for this person and for those who are lax in keeping the holy tradition. So these are just a few of the witnesses we have from holy tradition to come and buffer what the saint, what the holy elder is saying. Obviously, if you've read the text, you, you, you've read the many patristic quotes that he himself has added at the end of the chapter and the rudder from the canons. And he has St. Basil and St. Gregory and St. Stephanus and St. John Chrysostom. And he gives us there uh, all these witnesses, in addition to the Holy Scripture, about what Holy Tradition is all about, right? What is, how it's so important. Uh, St. Irenaeus and St. Clement of Alexandria, in particular, have a wonderful quote. Those who explain Scripture without the help of the Church's tradition, they cut asunder the significance of truth. So literally, he has just said that millions of people who call themselves Christians, Protestants, Roman Catholics, uh, so-called Roman Catholics and uh, those Orthodox who are secularized and their teaching and reading scripture without the aid of the Holy Fathers and Holy Tradition, they say that they're cutting asunder the scripture. They're, in other words, overturning it and ruining it and distorting it. So you can read that in the chapter that's been sent to you. I don't need to go and repeat that. Very good uh, and a treasure, treasure trove of material there. So I hopefully this short uh, review of what our Holy Tradition says, the Holy Fathers, the, the life of the Church uh, has helped you to be solidified and not have any doubts as to the central place, the absolute essential place of the Holy Tradition. All right, let's Υπότιτλοι AUTHORWAVE